my poor, poor wife. Church, I got to tell you, I am. I got a problem. I really do. And I, I'm this self. My wife is not my problem. Just so we're clear, <laughs> that didn't come out at all like I intended. At all. I am sorry, hon. Uh, poor, poor Amy. Um, no, I, so I'm a self-proclaimed, self-diagnosed, borderline introvert. Not all the way introvert. Like, I'm not completely introverted. I like to go into my office or into a room and just, like, close the door and drink my coffee and, and read a book. Anyone else with me? Like, you're like, yup, that's good. And the rest of you who did not raise your hand, either you're introverted and you don't want to play that game and you don't want me to see you because you raised your hand, or you're like, no, I like to chat with people, which is the other side of me. I love to chat. If I know you, I want to talk to you. If I don't know you, I want to, it just doesn't matter. Because I know in that conversation, somewhere along the way, we're going to talk about Jesus. And that fires me up. Like, that gets me. So when we go to the grocery store, it's supposed to take five minutes. Nope, it takes 35 minutes. You know, it's supposed to take an hour. No, we're there for two and a half hours. And I'll just get left in the produce. Like, Amy's not putting up with it. She's just going to go. She's got her shopping list. She's going to get it. Well, all that to say... Our 10-year, it's more than a decade ago, but our 10-year anniversary, we were talking and we were like, we want to do something fun, something we'll remember forever. So we said, let's go to London, which sounds so exotic, right? But it cost us like 30 bucks or 50 bucks for the ticket because we were already in Europe. Like, so it wasn't quite what it sounds like from here. It was more like going from here to Indy. You know, it was, it was kind of a close thing to do. So anyway, it was close and it was fairly inexpensive. So we're like, let's go. And so we go and we do everything you're supposed to do in London. You go and you see the Tower Bridge and the Tower of London, not the same. The Tower of London's this castle thing where everybody died. And then we went to um, Shakespeare's Globe, which was not the real Shakespeare's Globe because that one burned down. This one's a fake Shakespeare's Globe. So we went and we saw that. And then we're on the tube which is their subway, right? Mind the gap. And so we're on the tube. That's what they call it, the tube. And we're on the tube and we're heading back to the hotel because we're exhausted. And that's when that woman got on. I don't know whether you call it the train. She got on the tube with, I don't know what you'd say. She got, she got onto the thing where we were, right? She got on and, and she sat down. And I know you're not supposed to stare like it's rude, right? It's really rude to stare. But I, I started staring like that, like crazy eyes. And then I looked at Amy and Amy's looking at me, and she's like, by eyes, we're like, I know. And I'm like, can you believe that? With my eyes, I didn't say it with my mouth. Can you believe what just happened? And she's like, I know, because there's this woman. And from head to toe, she's been bedazzled. Like, she's all sparkly, and she's got all kinds of, like, bling on her stuff going on. And clearly, she's from India. And I'm like, I look at her, and I'm like, with my eyes, I say, I'm so sorry, honey. I know it's our 10-year anniversary, but I've got to do this. And she looks at me and basically says, I know. I wish you wouldn't, but go ahead. That's what happened. Like, we knew that's what was going on. So I turned to this woman, and we start to talk, right? And as we start to talk, she is so excited to talk to us, and she wants to know our whole life story. So she asks us where we're from, and I freeze. And I'm like, well, I mean, I'm, I'm staying at the hotel, but we're living in Lisbon, but I'm not from Lisbon. We moved from Texas, but I really wasn't from Texas. I just went to seminary there. We're kind of from Oklahoma. Will she know what is in Oklahoma? And so... I kind of temporarily froze, but then we just, she loosened up, and we started talking, and she wanted to know which hotel we're staying at, and I told her, and she goes, oh, I know the owner. I looked at Amy, and she looked at me, and it's like, right, she knows the owner. Like, she doesn't know the, guys, I've never met a hotel owner. 
and all my life. Maybe you know lots of hotel owners. I don't know any. If you're a hotel owner, please introduce yourself to me in the lobby because I'm thinking, I don't know anyone who owns Marriott. Like, I don't know those people or the uh, holiday. I don't know. Like, I just don't know any hotel owners. I know a lot of people who do a lot of different things. I don't know hotel owners. So I'm looking, and I just think she's the biggest fibber who's ever been. Like, she's telling me whopper. She had, because then she tells me, oh, yes, and I know the Tony Blair. I'm like, you don't know the Tony Blair. Stop it. And then she tells me she knows the queen and her little puppies, her little corgis. And I'm like, okay. And that's when, you ever been around someone crazy? Like, <laughs> like where you're sitting there and you're talking to them and you're like, no, no, there's something really not okay with you. I don't. <laughs> and uh, so, and that may, that's probably not nice to say. And I probably shouldn't say that for a minute. But I really, in that moment, I'm just being very transparent with you. And I hope you forgive me for it. But I, I was sitting there and I was thinking to myself, maybe I should just be like, okay. Have a good trip. We're going over here, Amy. You know, should we do? And that's about the time she reached down into her bag and she pulled out her photo album. She said, oh, by the way, I'm a princess from India. There are seven royal families from India and I'm a princess. And I'm like, no. <laughs> and then she starts flipping pictures and she says, see, this is my house. This is the palace. Like, this is where... This is where I live. And she's like, see, there's Elton John. He came to my house. And there's the queen and Tony Blair. And she's the, Mother Teresa came by my house. And she's turning. And she's like, oh, but you're American. The Michael Jackson came to my house. Do you, do you know Michael? And I'm like, you know, actually, we've never met. Like, <laughs> we would be best friends, I'm sure. We'd teach each other dance moves. It'd be great. But no, I don't know Michael. And we're going through this thing. And then she explained. She's like, well, the thing is, in, in my country, just because of my name, I can't, I can't go out in public because of my name alone. If my face is seen, it would just mess up the whole transportation system. So I love when I get to visit places like London because I just get to go talk to people. And, like, no one cares what my name is. I can just go hang out and talk to people. And that, that my friends, is a true story on the tube in London with an Indian princess, and Amy was there. Like, she got to see and experience it all. The Word of God, I'm going to come back to that in just a second. The Word of God says this in Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 3. It says, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Again, welcome to Woodside Romeo. I am Billy, and we're in this fall series called Blueprints, well, we're taking a deep dive on the Old Testament. In fact, take your Bibles right now and open up to Exodus chapter 20. I encourage you to just uh, stick a card right there or, or something to, to bookmark it because we're going to be there over the next long season. I love the Ten Commandments because I think it's one of those rare places in Scripture that takes us in such a crystal clear way back to the foundation of our faith. And yet... I think we struggle with the Ten Commandments. I, I think we struggle because of the very name, the Ten Commandments. Like, we don't, it's a command. It's just so aggressive, right? We don't like aggressive talk nowadays. We like nice talk. So if little Johnny's being bad, we don't say, little Johnny, straighten it up. You're being horrible. No, what we say is we say, hey, little Johnny, we'd appreciate it if you would just be nice. Right? Isn't that what we do? We're, but there's a time, there's a time for a command, Let's say you have a sophomore in high school, and let's say that sophomore's taking biology class. I just happen to have a sophomore in high school taking biology class, right? And let's say there's a vial with the little skull and crossbones on it. Let's say there's a vial. 
You, you picturing this in your head? And let's say that vial, no one knows, just got a skull and crossbones. Let's say it's filled with a deadly virus. Not that they would ever let your high school sophomore anywhere near a deadly virus. But there's going to be urgency in the moment if someone starts to reach for it. I hope whoever's running that loud at the top of their voice yells out, do not open that vial. In fact, don't even touch that vial because there's urgency to the moment. Church, for us, I believe there's urgency in this moment. No different than it was for the Hebrew people when they first heard these words. And so that's the context that we're going to go. And we're going to look at the big idea. The big idea today is to have no other gods. Sometimes the big idea is kind of long and it's kind of hard to remember all throughout the week. This one's pretty simple. You can remember this all week long. Have no other gods. And the first point we're going to see is the biblical God shares his name with us. I've already talked about this just a little bit, but look at verse number one of chapter 20. The word of God says, and God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Do you know that name for God? The Lord, your God. It appears 451 times in the Old and New Testament. 451 times. The Lord God appears many times, not as many as the Lord, your God. It's intimate. It's personal. It's where God says, I want to share my name with you. My name is going to be connected to you. We're, we're just going to be connected in this. See, some of your faces, you don't look like you're in awe, and we should be in awe because this is a holy and an awesome God. This is a creator. This is a sustainer. This is the foundation of everything. And he says, I'm going to share my name with you. I'm going to stand with you. An unholy people. All right, imagine it like this. Imagine you're a highfalutin person, right? You're, you're a fancy person. You're a mover. You're a shaker. You're, I don't know, I don't know whether you're a, a high-ranking attorney or a government official or a politician. I, that, that's not even important. But let's just say you're one of those people. You tracking? Like you're one of these people and you hang out with those people. That's your social circle, right? And so you do things like, I don't know what rich people do, um, but you go do those things, like whatever those things are. Uh, I would say right on the Titanic, but that didn't work out. But let's say you just go do, let's say you go to fancy lunches. Are you tracking out fancy lunch? You're at a fancy lunch. It's a five-star restaurant. Five-star restaurant means you got to wear fancy pants, and it means you probably need to go snack after the dinner because you're going to get something that looks really, really cool, but you're not going to get very much of it, like one of those things. You're at that restaurant, and you're talking with all these people. You're talking about philanthropy things, and you're talking about you know, what law should pass, what shouldn't pass, when all of a sudden a low-class prostitute walks in. And she looks exactly like what you think she would look like. Her hair is just a mess. She hasn't taken a bath in weeks. She smells bad. Her eyes, her eyes are kind of crazy looking right now. She's not wearing very much at all. You picture in that scene? Think how everyone in that restaurant, that five-star restaurant would respond. Some people, some people would look away. I don't even want to look at her. Some people would would probably gasp, they'd be grossed out, disgusted, frustrated, some mad. How dare she come into this place? Where's the maitre d'? He should have stopped her. I can't believe this restaurant would let her come in and mess with your dinner like that, right? Some people would be like, but, but imagine in that moment. Some people would probably just flat walk out, wouldn't they? They would get up and they'd walk out of the restaurant. So imagine in that moment, 
you stand up and you're going to stake your reputation on that and you walk over to this woman. Can you picture it? You grab her by the hands and you tell her to look into your eyes. You tell her, don't look at them, look at me. And you tell her in that moment, I'm your friend. It's going to be okay. I'm not going anywhere. I'm right here. It's going to be okay. That's what God does for me and you. He says, even in that place of having nothing that you can offer back to me, even in that place, I'm going to stand with you. I am the Lord, your God. And just so you know, that's not a fictional story. It's in the Bible. It's the book of Hosea. Right? In the book of Hosea, if you're not familiar with it, you have this this prophet, and this prophet is married to a prostitute. And he goes to God, and he says, God, she is so unfaithful. She deserves punished. And God is like, no, I'm going to teach the world something through you, Hosea. You're going to forgive her, and you're going to love your wife. And then God looks, and he looks at Israel, and he says, Israel is like an adulterous wife. Israel is going off. She's ignoring me. She's, she's acting like I'm not even there. And Hosea's like, but, but God, you're going to love her, and you're going to forgive her, and you're going to draw her to you. And that whole time, here's God's desire. I don't want to be the Lord, their God, and I want them to look at me and say, you are the Lord, my God. That's what I'm after. Isn't that incredible? Point number two this morning. Point number two, the biblical God displays his power on our behalf. This is awesome. Look at verse two. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He displays power on our behalf. This is a big one. So it's roughly 3,500 years ago, give or take some years, right? It was, but it's a long time. 3,500 years ago is when all this happened. The Hebrew people were slaves in Egypt. They were slaves in Egypt. And through Moses, Moses went for God's representative, went to Pharaoh and said, set my people free. Pharaoh gritted his teeth and said, yeah, I don't, I don't think so. I'm not going to, and so the plagues started. We'll talk a lot more about the plagues next week. We'll, we'll talk about them. So there were 10 total plagues. But every single time, Pharaoh clenched his jaw shut. And he's like, nope, nope, I'm not going to submit. I'm not going to bow down. I'm not, I'm not going to recognize that your God is there or has any power here. Every single, maybe that's been you. Maybe that's been part of your story before. I think anyone who's ever surrendered your life to Jesus, you know what that feels like, don't you? To clench your jaw and say, nope, Lord, I'm not surrendering. I'm not going to until you do, right? And then everything changes in that moment. And if if you've never had that experience, I, I hope today is that day that you do, right? So Pharaoh's clenching his jaw until the 10th plague. Do you remember the 10th plague? The oldest firstborn male in the household will die. That means in Pharaoh's palace, the oldest died. That means down the road of that maidservant girl, her child died. That means the livestock out in the field, the oldest one, died. All of them, all in one night. There had never been a night of mourning and wailing and weeping like that. And just in case you're sitting here wondering, but wouldn't there be some other way that God could have done that? Why the ten plagues? Well, instead of making something up, why don't we just read the Bible? Exodus 9 says, so that you may know there's no one like me in all the earth, that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth, so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. That's what Scripture tells us. That's why 
the ten plagues. So when God says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, he's saying, I, I use power on your behalf. And that's important for all of us to remember that throughout history, time and time and time again, God has used his power in a way that no one can explain all on our behalf. Isn't that awesome? The last point this morning, the biblical God fights for our freedom. He fights for our freedom. Verse number two says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Don't miss that. Out of the house of slavery. See, Egypt kept the Hebrews under the heavy hand of slavery. And yet, sometimes as people, you know what we do? We, we look at the things that we know, even when it's really, really bad. We look at the things we know and we say, well, it's not that bad compared to what I don't know. Does that make sense? Like, the, what I know is better than... This will make more sense. You've seen when a boyfriend and girlfriend are dating and it's not good, right? It's just not good. Like, he's bad, she's bad, they're bad for each other, it's just bad. And so, like, he's doing things that are unspeakable, we're not even going to talk about those things, but he's doing those things, and all of a sudden, her self-image, her self-worth is just annihilated. You know that scene? Like that scene? And so, all of a sudden, they break up. It's a fiery crash. Like, we're, we're done, I'm not talking to you, I dislike you. I'm not going to use the word hate. We're in church, but like this is not a good situation. We're we're over. Splitsville. Done. Until it's Friday night, and you're sitting at home, and you're like, man, I'm bored. Man, I'm lonely. My birthday's coming up. No one likes to be single on their birthday. You know, it's your birthday. It's and you get cake, ice cream, and a kiss or something, right? You know, and so. All of a sudden, you're thinking, I know that it was a really, 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 really bad situation, but it wasn't all that bad, was it? We had good times. Have you seen the people do that? Have you ever done that? See, this is... So when we look at the Hebrew people, we can't think that they're acting bonkers and we're above that because we've done the same thing. Maybe you've done it with jobs. Maybe you've done it. Who knows what you... But we, we do these things, don't we? So here's what the Hebrew people do. They walk through on dry ground. After the templex, finally Pharaoh's like, you know what, go, and they go, and then Pharaoh changes his mind. He's chasing them, trying to get to them. The Red Sea parts, they walk through on dry ground, the waters come and crash, and they drown Pharaoh's armies and his generals. It's an incredible, incredible scene. Now, now the people are walking. They're heading to the promised land. And along the way, they have no food, not to feed this many people. So God literally sends manna from heaven. He sends this bread-like substance from heaven so that the people have something to eat. And then Numbers 11, chapter 11, verses 4 through 6 says, Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. And the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember, listen to verse number five. This is so ridiculous. Listen, we remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up, and there's nothing at all but this manna to look at. Did you hear that? Fish that cost nothing. It was almost like they forgot the stripes on their back. They forgot the way that freedom had been stripped away from them. They just remember the fish buffet. They remember the salad bar, right? Listen, to, I mean, they're talking about the salad bar here going, you know, it had, where'd it go? 
It says we had melons and leeks and onions and garlic and cucumbers. And we, we had all this. We had this spread. Like, they forgot Hebrews chapter 1. Or, or, sorry, Exodus chapter 1. Exodus chapter 1 lets us know crystal clear what it was like. It says that they were oppressed. They were forced to, to do labor. They worked ruthlessly from difficult work. They would take the male children and they would drown them, literally drown them to control the numbers of the Hebrew people. That's what it was like in reality. And here's what Jesus says. Jesus says in John chapter 8, Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. God showed his power on our behalf so that we could be free. And yet, sin itself enslaves us. Now, we all have hurts, habits, and hang-ups, right? But what about that sin that keeps popping up again and again and again in your life? That sin that you, all of a sudden, you look at and you go, well, it's not that bad. There were good times too, right? Isn't that what we do? It hasn't killed me yet. And all of a sudden, you start to live at peace with that sin. Jesus says, when you sin, you're a slave to that sin. Here's what God says. God says, I want to be the Lord, your God. I want to be the Lord, your God. You shall have no other gods before me. Now that you know me, now that I pledge myself as your God, that I'm a deliverer, that I use my power to rescue you from slavery, based on all that, based on the fact that I want to be a relational God, that I'm going to show my power for you based on the fact that that power is going to free you. Based on all that, you should have no other gods before me. Here's what it looks like in the New Testament with Jesus. Because just so you know, the Old Testament isn't one thing and the New Testament another thing. It is one story about the redemption that we have through Christ Jesus. So Jesus in Mark chapter 10 is interacting with this rich young ruler. And as they're interacting, this guy asks him, what, what must I do to inherit the kingdom? Jesus, what do I have to do? And so Jesus starts talking to him about the commandments, doesn't he? Now, it's interesting, though. He doesn't talk about all the commandments. He talks about the last six. The last six deal in how we deal with each other, loving people, right? How we interact as, as people. And so this rich young ruler is like, Jesus, I've got that licked. You know, I've done all that. I'm, I'm really, really on track in that area. And then Jesus breaks out that first part that has to do with loving God and submitting to God. Here's what he says, Mark 10, 21. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. And he said, you lack one thing. Sell all that you have. Give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And then come follow me. Right now, your God is your money. Your God is your treasure. Get rid of that and come follow me. You shall have no other gods before me. Scripture says in the book of Acts, chapter 4, verse 12, that salvation is found in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus says, follow me. Church, he says the same thing to us. We should have no other gods before him. Here's what I think happens, though. Christ calls us to follow him, to carry our cross, to deny ourselves, to suffer for his name, to take his name to all the nations, to love our enemies, to seek first the kingdom and then material things. And, and yet that's not what happens. I read this this week. I want to share it. It says, many of us are in violation of the first commandment because we love money more than we love the poor. We love comfort more than we love our church. We love our families, but we don't love the stranger. So how can we say 
were listening to Jesus. It's interesting, a princess from India is afraid to go among the people because of her name and the ruckus we would create. And yet, we have a God who says, I want to share my name with you. I want to be the Lord, your God. I want to get right down in your space, Emmanuel, Jesus, God with us. I want to finish by going back to that Hosea story. Some of you, most of you probably know this whole story. There's some of you, this may be new. But that prophet who is married to a prostitute, one day, Gomer, his wife, ended up missing. So he started going around asking everybody, have you seen my wife, Gomer? Hey, have you seen my wife, Gomer? Where is she? And he finally finds her. She's in the red light district. She's being captured by the pimps of the age. And she's on the auction block. She's an ugly sight. She's bruised. She's beaten. She's naked. She's humiliated. She has absolutely nothing. And that's when the bidding begins to auction off his wife. Five. Who's going to give me five? Ten. Will someone give me ten for this? Fifteen. And all of a sudden, Hosea shouts out at the top of his lungs, I'll give everything I have. And he pays for his wife in full. Church, when God looked down at us, he saw an ugly sight. Because we are bruised and beaten and naked and humiliated on our own. We have nothing. There's nothing that we can possibly say or do or take to God that's all of a sudden going to impress him. But here's the good news. Before the bidding even began, Jesus Christ shouted at the top of his lungs, I'll give everything I have, and the hammer fell, and the price was paid in full. You see, we get a right standing with God because of the price that Jesus Christ paid for us. And he says, based on that, you should have no other gods before me. So I don't know what struggles you've had. I don't know if it's with your treasure or with your, with your name or with your family or with plans or with talents. I don't know what gods you've tried to place above God, but there is one true, holy, awesome, and powerful God, and we should have no gods before him. Changes everything, doesn't it? Something as simple as this think calls us to radically examine our lives at this scandalous grace that God pours out on us. Father, we do thank you for today. We thank you for the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. We thank you for loving us so much that you share your name with us. We thank you for loving us so much that you share your power on our behalf. And God, that power is meant and intended to free us from slavery. So I pray for the man or the woman right now who may be struggling with certain sins in their lives that maybe they've, they've fallen into this pattern of saying, but it's not that bad. I remember there were good times too. Lord, let us just cut off the sin in our lives. 
And maybe that's not even the issue for some at all. Maybe it's just we've been kind of apathetic towards our relationship with you. I pray that this morning creates a fire in our stomachs that we can't put out. God, you've given us reason to sing. You've given us reason to praise. You've given us reason to celebrate. You've given us reasons to forgive. You've given us reasons to show grace to others because you've so richly poured out your grace on us. So God, don't let us leave today the same. Let us see the world differently because of the grace that you've shed on our behalf. In Jesus' name we pray.